Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. Yeah, next week, envy. I envy that you get to talk about envy. I'm angry that I got to talk about angry. All week long, I've been walking up and down the hallway just for fun, uh, scaring our staff. Now, I am so mad. I'm so angry. And uh, I'm not, because last week the Browns won, which was amazing. And the Buckeyes won in the last second, which was amazing. And I have nothing to be angry about. But we're going to talk about anger anyways. All right? Glad you're here. Glad to worship with you. And I want to begin, you know, we all... I think we probably all have like our top 10 movies. Ours shift around a little bit. I'm going to show you one of ours. And my wife and I, the other night, we watched Rudy, sort of to, you know, in honor of Ohio State beating Notre Dame, I think. That's one of our top 10s, I think. Did I say Ohio State won last week? But, uh, you know, here, here's another movie. Do you, if you watch The Help, this is such a great movie. I can hear out in the audience, some of you have. What a great movie. And in this movie, let's all boo together, there's Hilly. And she, uh, I mean, it's hard to believe somebody can be this mean. The scene is back, I think, in the 50s in the segregated South, and she is just prejudiced, she is just mean, and deep down bitterness and anger toward other people. And then there's Abilene, who is just sweet as can be, and she is so wise, and she knows how to raise kids, and she just loves people. But by the end of the movie, she's had enough of Hilly, and so she gets in her face and um, looks her dead in the eye after hearing so much uh, of her prejudiced statements and her mistreatment of people, and she looks her dead in the eye, and she says this. She says, whoops, not that. Well, she does. She says, ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? I, I think this is a question of puzzlement. It's like, Hilly, how can, you, how can you act so mean? How can you be so, uh, uh, such a tyrant toward people and not be tired in your soul? How can you not have a, a withered soul acting like you have? It's a, it's a great question, ain't you tired? It's a good one for all of us because if we're not careful, that's what Anger, deep, settled bitterness and resentment can do to us. It can make us tired. It can shrink our souls. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of anger. It's not just about Hilly. It's not just about somebody else. It's about us. Sometimes our anger can be like a, I don't know, like a, like a volcano. You know, something deep down pushing it out. Or it can be like a tornado. And everybody knows when we're angry, explosive, don't go near your dad today. Don't, make sure you don't go around the boss today. Be careful. And we all know that it can just take one episode of outrage and it can create a memory and a scar for a very long time. That's, that's one side of anger. But there's another side of anger which isn't so explosive. It's like that deep, settled settled passive resistant type of anger. It's more like an ice storm. And when that person walks into the room, the temperature just drops because of that passive aggressive, I don't know, deep settled uh, brooding and seething of anger and bitterness and resentment. And everybody feels it. And everybody kind of makes an excuse. Oh, that's just the way he is. Or that's just her being her. So whether it's a, uh, a tornado or whether it's that deep, settled resistance or a resentment that everybody feels, and at the end of the day, it can make that person tired. And it can make the other people around that person very, very tired. So it's a great question. Ain't you tired? We are in the wisdom literature. Let me remind us, we started this just a couple weeks ago after finishing the Gospel of John. The wisdom literature in your English Bibles are ordered like this. The book of Psalms, and then Proverbs, and I'm sorry, that first Job, then Psalms, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, then the Song of Songs. At some point, we'll come back to the Psalms and to the Song of Songs. But uh, for, for this series, we're, we're dipping into Proverbs for about seven weeks, and then once into Ecclesiastes, and then another week into Job. So right now, we are in 
Proverbs, and we're looking at what are called the seven deadly sins. Now, you won't find your, in your Bible them labeled like this, but over years, the church began to recognize the deadly sins. Now, let's be clear, all sin is deadly, right? But what people have recognized over the years is that these seven are especially deplorable or egregious to God and especially harmful to self and especially harmful to others. And so what we want to do today, after looking at pride last week, is look at anger today. I should have put it in all caps. Isn't that what you do when you're angry and, you're, and you email somebody? All caps. Angry. We're talking about anger today. What I'd like to do is to try to answer three questions with you. The first one is, what is anger? Now, like so many things, it's given by God. Anger has a good side and a bad side. It's an emotion given by God. We want to look at the bad side of it by trying to answer the question, why must I stop allowing anger to control me? But also the good side of anger, too, by answering the question, why must I start allowing anger to control me? All right, we'll try to make our way through all of those. So let's begin with the very first one. What is anger? Now, Tim Keller, who we're going to reference several times in this passage, and he wrote a great devotional. We showed that to you two weeks ago out of Proverbs, the wisdom literature. This is the way he defines anger, and I love this definition. Anger is energy released to defend something you love. Isn't that great? Think of something you love or somebody you love. You will get angry if you're trying to defend that which you love. Let's, let's do what the Bible does and sort of break, it, break the, the world down into two general classifications, <laughs> all right? Objects of our love. The, the first object of our love is myself, right? It's my plan, my way, my preferences, my goals, my way of doing things. My, it's my game. If I lose, I'm taking the ball and going home. It's my ball, myself, right? That's the object of our love. But the other one is God and others. That's the great commandment, right? Somebody one day asked Jesus, what is the greatest command in all the Bible? And Jesus said, love God, love people. And in this case, it is God's preference over my preference. God's way over my way. God's goals over my goals. It is, it is the idea of pleasing God and serving others. That's what it means to be angry in certain ways. Now, now, depending on the object of your love, your anger is going to be expressed in different ways, right? Uh, let me give you some examples from Proverbs. Since we're looking at Proverbs, there's myself, God, and others, the two general categories. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. You know, in the book of Proverbs, over and over, you'll see the, the, the wise and the fools compared to each other. There are two paths you can take in life. You can take the path of folly. You can take the path of wisdom. If you try to take the middle path in life, by default, you'll end up on the path of folly, right? And it says here, a fool vents his or her anger. What does that look like? Well, it can look like a tornado. Or it can look like that passive-aggressive ice storm, you know? and make everybody pay. That's what it means to vent anger. No matter what, it results from what? Loving myself. But then it goes on to say that the wise quietly hold it back. That doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the wise person never expresses anger. No, it's important to be able to express anger in the right way, just not vent it so everybody pays, right? In a destructive, harmful way. Proverbs also says this. Don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Uh, this, person has, this person has a, they have a right to be angry. But what they choose, what the wise person chooses to do is not make this person pay or retaliate. They understand that God has a way of settling the matter in his own way and in his own time. That's what the wise person understands. What does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We trust God. And that's found throughout Scripture. So, so that's, that's one question we've dealt with. What is anger? We could say much, much more, but I want to get on 
to the second question, which is this. Why must I stop allowing anger to control me? Um, we're talking about the book of Proverbs. You won't pick this up in the first reading, second reading, third reading, but eventually you'll come to understand the book of Proverbs is very much about maintaining unity within the community, which at the end of the day is what we all want. I mean, if we live in Huron County, you want unity. Live in Norwalk, you want unity within the community. But what about this church? Yes, unity within this community. What about your family? Yes, of course, unity within that community. What about your marriage? Of course, you want unity within that. And we could go on. That's what Proverbs moves toward. What is best for everyone? How do you maintain unity? The Apostle Paul then picks up some of the themes of the book of Proverbs and transports them into his letter to the Ephesians, and especially in chapter 4, where the entire theme of chapter 4 is unity. When my wife and I were getting married, we did pre-marriage counseling, and the pastor walked us through all of chapter 4, the book of Ephesians. And, and what you come across is there is that it's important to speak the truth. That's one of the ways you not let anger get out of court. You speak the truth. says that a couple times. Then he says, speak the truth in love. Do it the right way. And then you come to this one phrase where Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, here the days are getting shorter. By December 21, you've got even less time to let the sun go down on your anger. Of course, that's not what he means. He just means deal with it. Don't let anger settle into your heart. And if you do, this is a problem, what Paul goes on to say. If you do that, if you let anger go, the devil will find a foothold in your life and the life of the people around you, and he will wreak havoc. And then he gets to the end of chapter 4, all on unity, and this is what he writes. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. That's a constellation of words that shout the word anger. What do they mean? Well, bitterness, it's a resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. What about rage, an outburst of passion? What about harsh words, the loud self-assertion of the angry person who will make everyone hear their grievance? What about slander, speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, and so defaming and even destroying their reputation? All ugly words that shout anger. And what happens? What happens then to a person who lives with unhinged, untamed, unbridled anger? Well, Proverbs has a number of things to share. This is one of them. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you'll have to do it again. Maybe you've had that happen to you, or maybe you've had that happen to somebody. You've had to rescue them again and again and again. What does it mean they must pay the penalty? In the Hebrew, it means they carry around punishment. Wow. What's the punishment? What's the punishment? Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired in your soul? That's the punishment. Your soul begins to shrink. It begins to wither. It begins to get tired out. And you begin to take people with you. And the devil, like Paul says, gets a foothold and begins to wreak havoc in your life and in the lives of people around you who orbit around you. And then, well, we all, we've all seen it, right? There, there is the disintegration of the relationship. And, and there's no longer deep communication because... You can't talk about those hot-button issues or there will be rage. Or we have to walk on eggshells around this person. And there's no true meaningful relationship any longer because of what anger does. Proverbs says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. I mean, who wants to be around a sword, a piercing sword-wielding angry person? Nobody does. And maybe you can think of somebody like that. You don't want to be around them anymore because of their rage. Or maybe it's just not a tornado. Maybe it's just their icy condition. I'm done. I'm tired. It feels like I'm being pierced with a sword. Years ago, when my wife and I were about married about two years, I learned a lesson 
about anger I have never forgotten and how it can just get out of control and you can begin to experience this cycle of anger. We were living on the north side of Chicago. I was going to seminary up there, studying the Bible, mind you, right? And, uh, and this one day, my wife came to pick me up in our little 1984 Ford Escort, black and gray. And uh, we, we left the seminary, pulled out onto Half Day Road, taking a ride, very busy road, Chicago traffic. This was rush hour. And, I'll, and I'm driving, and, and I can... I can see a little, little room where I can finally get out in the traffic, and I take a right, and uh, I pull out in front of this dump truck, a big dump truck, who evidently was angry at me that I pulled out in front of him, and he was going to make me pay, and he comes up right on my bumper, so close I could see like the bugs on his grill, you know, that close. It was a Mack truck. That made me angry. I mean, here I was, studying the Bible all day long. I deserve a break. So in anger, I push on the break to teach him a lesson. A Ford Escort teaching a dump truck a lesson. And now that grill gets even closer to my rear mirror, and I can see, just hear him slam on the brakes as he tries not to hit me. He doesn't hit me. And I accelerate forward, trying to get away from him. Up ahead is a series of lights at a very busy intersection. And all I'm thinking as I'm looking in the rearview mirror, I was stupid, that was stupid. I let my anger get out of control. Turn green, turn green, turn green. It did turn green, but I didn't get there in time. It turned red. And so I stopped there, and this truck pulls up behind me. I'm just looking straight ahead. My wife is just looking straight ahead. And all of a sudden, my car door opens. It was the dump truck driver, and he leaned in that door, and he said some really creative things to me in, 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 in a very loud voice into my ear, and then I pulled him into the car and beat him. That's not true. <laughs> he, he slammed the door so hard. He was so angry at me, slammed the door so hard, and all I could do was look ahead. My wife, all she could do was look ahead. It took for, for a while to say, did that just happen? And then like, what did you do? And then why did you do that? I mean, I, clearly, I, but what I learned, what I learned from this is, is the cycle of anger. How it can get, just get out of control. Have you ever seen that where it just person gets angry, then another person gets angry, then another person gets angry. And maybe you're in that cycle right now. I came across this toy the other day on the website. You put a little power into it, and this ball just keeps going round and round and round and round and round. I think it's a fun little thing to have on the desk, right? But it's kind of like the cycle of anger. And what's really easy to happen is start blaming the other person. Look what you did. Look what you did. Look what you did. But you know what Proverbs says? I love this passage. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. For so long, I was right in my own eyes. I was right in my own eyes. But what this passage tells me and what the wise person does is looks at their own heart and asks, what was my part in it? In that, in that little traffic incident where I almost lost my life, where I learned a very valuable lesson about anger and road rage, mind you, um, I, I learned that I need to look at my own heart and I, in fact, did have a part to play. How are you looking at your own heart? Every now and then, somebody is 100% correct. They did nothing wrong to deserve what they got, and they are angry, justifiably angry. And they say to themselves, why can't I get back at that person? Why can't I retaliate? Why can't I pay them back? But listen, if we're, taking, if we're getting real and taking God and his word seriously, which is a definition of wisdom, taking God and his word seriously, then we have to pay attention to passages like this in Proverbs that say, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Had I read that before the guy poked his head in the car, maybe I would have said, would you like a chip? I, but I, 
I don't think that's exactly what it means. But the idea is you don't try to get them back. This passage goes on and says, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. What does Jesus says, say? Love your enemies. That's in the Sermon on the Mount, which is very much a parallel of the book of Proverbs. Love your enemies. What, is it, what does that look like? What, is it, what happens? How does that happen? Have you ever done that? Where you're just kind to somebody who has wronged you? And you want to retaliate, but you don't. This is what Tim Keller writes. Our opponents may find our kindness toward them to be painful. They want confirmation that, we'll, that their contempt for us is justified and kind behavior robs them of it. Go ahead, rob that person. If you're in the right. Let me just close off this question by asking you, how's it, how's it working for you? Anger. How's it working being a tornado? How's it working being an icy, passive-aggressive, angry, bitter, resentful person deep down inside? How's that working for you? Because at the end of the day, you will find your soul wither and get tired. Ain't you tired? Now, let's move on to the last question. I love this question. Why must I start allowing anger to control me? Let's go back to the definition of anger. Anger is energy released to defend something you love. What do you love? What is the object of your love? Now, I think the next statement I'm going to show you on the screen is so, is so helpful to know where you should place your anger. And this is how it goes. I should get angry at what makes God angry. Two objects of our love, myself or God and others. I should get angry at what makes God angry. What's God trying to defend? Sin entered the world. Let's not deny that. Sin entered the world. We've had a part in that, right? And because of that, there are problems all over the world. One of my favorite writers, Christopher Wright, he helps us understand the heart of God. Can I show it to you? It goes like this. Century after century, the God of the Bible revealed his passionate concern for social issues, political tyranny, economic exploitation, judicial corruption, the suffering of the poor and the oppressed, and the evils of brutality and bloodshed. So passionate indeed that the laws God gave and the prophets God sent address these matters more than any other issue except idolatry. And such terrible social issues were expressions of idolatry. You can see right there what God hates, what angers God. Oppression, persecution, economic exploitation. You've seen it. You know it's here. It's in our community and it's around the world and God hates it. We should join as a church God in his anger and then take action. What action do we take? Well, throughout Scripture, God shows us what's action to take. Like, for example... Uh, Isaiah writes, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. That's taking action based upon what angers God. Do you know Micah 6 eight? We are to act justly. We are to love mercy. We are to walk humbly with God. Have you ever read the book of Amos? All over what it looks like. Let justice roll down like a river. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't say that. God said that through Amos. And Proverbs is not without its challenges, too, on what to do, how to act. Two weeks ago, we introduced Proverbs. This is what it says in the, first, in the third verse, chapter 1. Their purpose, the purpose of Proverbs, is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Listen, you want, a, you, you want an indication whether or not you're growing in wisdom? I mean, you're really learning. You're really becoming wiser. Are you standing for what is right, just, and fair in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, in the world? And how do we do that? What does that look like? Proverbs is not without help. It says this, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. You want to be joyful? <laughs> Stand for what is right, just, and fair. Those who, are oppressed, who, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. You want to honor God? Stand for what is right, just, and fair. Proverbs 19, 17, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. I don't know how he'll repay you, but God will repay you. I don't know when, I don't know what means, but you will be repaid. 
when we help the poor. Just for a moment, I want to ask you, does that verse look familiar to you at all? Because for the last three weeks, it's been on the sign out there where we were collecting items for warming the community. A lot of you had a hand in that. Thank you for that. We're just trying to help the poor. And I get it. Some people were poor because of bad decisions they've made, but some people were poor because of economic exploitation and just the way our society is. Who cares? We are called to be kind and gracious. I love the fact that we are a church that is joining God in his anger and looking for ways to take action. Can I remind you of a few? In the last few weeks, we, 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 uh, we uh, collected over t- close to 200 coats that are distributed to different outlets. We collected over 800 pairs of socks, close to 100 pairs of gloves. This is the first year we've done it like this, collecting brand new things. Thank you. Thank you for, for joining God in his anger and taking action. Um, last May, we did the baby bottle campaign. What do we know about God's heart? God is angered whenever there is a devaluing of human life, whether born or unborn. And we collected coins and baby bottles and dollar bills and all of that to give to our local crisis pregnancy centers here in Norwalk, it's Abigail Pregnancy Center. Among those three centers, this church, we just counted it up recently, over $12,000 distributed What's that money used for? What's that money used for? It's to, help, it's to help parents bring a baby safely into the world. Thank you. Over in Burundi. Over in Burundi. I mean, God hates it when people are oppressed. And we found the poorest country in the world, Burundi. And then we found the Batwa people, pygmies in Burundi, 1% of the population. They are oppressed and despised. And over the last 10 years, we've adopted a village, and we have built 130 houses there. They would ne- when we walked into that village, it was 70% infant mortality rate. Think of that. Seven out of 10 kids dying. We reduced it to zero and helped them get educated and healthy. I want to tell you, there, there are very few churches in the United States who even know where Burundi is. But you do. And now we've adopted a new village and we'll be going there next summer. Can't do it all, but we can do some things. In Mexico, we're connected with an orphanage. Have you ever read scripture and seen God's heart for the orphans? How he gets angry when they're taken advantage of. And the widows, we try to do what we can. Remember the time in the temple where Jesus got so angry, he flipped over tables of the money changes. Remember that? Was it because they were changing money? No, they had to change money. It's because they were charging exorbitant amounts and thereby keeping people from coming in and worshiping God. They couldn't afford it. They were keeping people from worshiping God. That angers God. And do you know in India, we are now connected with a ministry there. They've given us an area to to adopt. It's called Kekoda. The country of India, the government of India, is a Hindu nationalist government, and they are trying to keep people from becoming Christians, keeping people from coming to God through faith in Christ. And we're joining with this ministry to help advance the gospel in this area. And I'm going to invite you right now, the last Sunday of October, 1 o'clock p.m. at the Sandusky campus, we're going to have a lady here from that ministry explaining what it's like there and how we're going to be partnering with them what we're going to be doing to help people come to faith in God through Christ. Isn't it great to join God in his anger and take action? Now, we do that as a church, but let's individually look for ways to stand for what is right and just and fair. Now, I want to transition to our time of communion by showing you on the screen another time Jesus Got angry. <laughs> Can you think of that? Here it is. When Jesus saw her, that's Mary of Mary and Martha. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And then it says he wept. Why did he get angry? Why did Jesus weep? Yesterday, I did a funeral service for a dear lady who died way too early. 
and the chapel has done a, a number of funeral services recently where people have died way too early. And here Jesus loses his friend Lazarus, dying too, way too early. And he weeps and he's angry. That's what it's like to lose somebody. But more to the core, why was Jesus angry? It's because when God created the world, he created it without death. And how did death get here? Adam and Eve. Let's blame it on them. They introduced sin into the world, and with sin came death. But can we just own our own sins and say we're part of it? God looks at the world, and he sees, he sees all the good things he's made, but he sees how sin has corrupted everything, and he sees death. And I won't try to, to shade the truth. God's word says that his, and this is an old term, wrath. His wrath falls upon sinners. Like you and me. He's angry at sin. But God's caught because he also deeply loves his creation. He loves you and me. And so he figured out a plan. He will come himself in the person of Jesus. And on the cross... The anger of God, the wrath of God will meet the love of God. And with perfect justice and in perfect love, Jesus took our sin onto himself so the anger of God can be averted. So that we, by faith in Jesus, could have the righteousness of God while Jesus takes our sin onto himself. That is the gospel that God has done for us through Jesus what you and I could never do for ourselves. And so for those who have put their faith in Jesus, when God looks at us, he is not angry. God is never angry. He might be disappointed in how we do certain things, how we handle certain things, but his anger has been averted. He loves you. He loves you. And when we take the bread and the cup, we must remember, he loves me. He loves me. The cross is a picture of, of love. Can we just bow our heads for a moment as you hold the, the bread and the cup and allow me to walk us through just a couple of simple prayers. God, first of all, I come before you and want to say this to you about my anger, about any other sin in my life. Just go ahead and confess it to God quietly to yourself. Tell God what's on your heart. And now in the next breath, thank God for his forgiveness. Thank him that, that he has cleansed you through Christ. Go ahead and take a moment and express gratitude. And now just a word of commitment to Christ. Because it is in Christ alone we are forgiven. It is in Christ alone we are freed. It is in Christ alone we find the joy of a relationship with God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and asked his disciples and asks us, by taking this bread to remember him. And so he said, I, I take this bread and break it. And whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. It represents my body. Let's eat it together. And then Jesus took the cup And he said, this cup represents the new covenant. It represents my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink it together. Lord, we are a grateful people. Help us to Join you in anger. 
and in action. Help us to be that kind of church. Thank you. In Jesus' name. I'd like to close the service before you leave just celebrating that it's in Christ alone we have all of this. Could you stand with me, please? Let's worship.
guide my vision, help me see the way you see. Always Jesus, ever Jesus Christ, and all is Christ to me. Holy Spirit, guide my speaking words of grace and truth abound. Let my lips be filled with stories of the mercy that I found. You're the light. You're my path. You're the shepherd of my soul. Trusting, leaning, holding, clinging till the day you lead me home. Oh, guide my
the same gold dream I lay each one down at your feet Every moment of my wandering Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess My hands are weary, I need your rest Mighty warrior, king of the fight No matter what I face, you're by my side when
Self-doubt. 